Welcome back to Recorded Conversations, the podcast that's dedicated to compassionately considering all perspectives while engaging in authentic, connected dialogue. I'm Danielle Kingstrom. Today's episode, we welcome my friend Daniel Rushing. He is a fitness life coach, and or rather a, a health life coach. Um, and he's someone that I just connected with, again, thanks to the wonderful technology of social media, and someone that I adamantly disagree with on a lot of issues and a lot of concepts. And we are able to still continue our connection. And today I just thought it would be fun to have him come on this show and just have a conversation with him and see what comes up. And what's funny is the topic of sex came up very organically. It wasn't even in any of the kind of little notes that I had jotted aside that had potentiality for conversation. And I thought it was actually so great because I had been noticing from this network called Fade to Gray that they've been talking about sex a little bit more too. And, you know, when I see people talk about sex, I'm, I want to sit there and I want to listen and I want to know what they're talking about. And I want to observe how they're responding to one another in discussion. And I say this in the podcast. And I did say this to the members of the discussion that I was viewing. They did it on like a little Zoom thing. And I did say too that, you know, what we generally observe from other people in discussions about sex, and especially dependent upon like where we are, the environment we're within, is there's this uncomfortability that's so present, this awkwardness. Um, you can read it in the facial expressions. And, you know, people just don't know how to talk about this because especially men and women, we vary and differ in the way that we talk about sex with one another. I don't know if you remember on a previous podcast, we had I had that discussion with a guest is that, um, and, and that was with Colin Brown, is that, you know, men can talk to women about sex in a different way that they feel like they're expected to talk to other men about sex and women are the same way. And so it was just very interesting to kind of see that play out. And that's not an insult. You know, that's not a diss on the way people were responding and receiving the information and the conversation. It's just something I noticed. And it reminds me of that whole eighth grade health class mentality, right? Like I, I'm taken back to eighth grade health class and it's the gym teacher that's teaching, you know, the sex ed to us and there's giggling and there's people making side comments and there's other people trying to be serious and other people who just want to make it funny. And I don't think people like actually ridicule the topic because they don't take it serious. I just think that's a, I think it's almost like a gut response, you know? Um, for instance, when I was told my uncle died, I, I laughed first before I cried. And so sometimes we laugh at things that are serious or that are sad or that are new and different and scary. And talking about sex itself is really scary as, as, as we both um, have observed and we talk about in the later discussions here on the episode. Um, but I like it. It's real. It's authentic. You're really seeing how people are responding to these topics at hand. And I think one of the focuses was like just on what purity culture can do and people who have experienced purity culture and some of the expectations of purity culture. 
And, you know, I, I, I just want to encourage those kinds of conversations, right? And, and I would ultimately love to be a part of a panel of people engaging in conversation like this and asking the real questions and having people write in or email in or comment on any of the links that are dropped anywhere on social media to, you know, let it, let me know and, and, and let other people know that you see talking about eroticism, sexuality, a healthy sexual esteem, embracing the erotic self, erotic intelligence, whatever it is, encourage those dialogues. And, and if nothing else, if you don't feel like you can participate in it, just listen and, and, and see what your takeaway is and, and see what you can offer other people. It's kind of just a challenge to critical thought and the way that we look at, human sexuality and the way that it affects us. So beyond that, uh, another great topic we dive into is just kind of noticing the observations of mimetic theory kind of playing out in our society. And my guest, Daniel, actually brings that up and notices it through his, through his personal observations and interactions that this mimetic desire is kind of like really showing its teeth right now. And I'm not very adept in understanding mimetic theory, mimetic or mimetic desire, all that, all that deeply. Um, it's something I just keep tiptoeing back and forth to. And, you know, one of the reasons is because it's, it's a very long theory to explain and to kind of work out logically and to argue for. And I think Girard even admits that himself. And so it's just a lot of information because what Girard does is it's, he doesn't just center his focus in, 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 in one realm. He's looking at it from an anthropological view. He's looking at it from a theological view. He's looking at it from a philosophical view. You know, and, and sometimes we don't consider that. And so I think that's what I appreciate about it is such an integrated uh, understanding and theory about how uh, cultures form, really. And what human desire does and where it arises from. And, and he, you know, poses that it rises from imitation. And so we kind of go through this whole like triangular circle of like the model of desire, desiring the object, an object of desire. And so anyway, within the conversation, we just kind of talk about that, how we see that playing out and, and um, you know, what's going to come from that. And I just think this was a really fun conversation. It, I tried to... I tried to box in some ideas to talk about just to, um, I guess, more or less, there were things that I was just curious about from Daniel himself because I didn't really know him all that well. And what happened instead was just this beautiful organic conversation that proceeded for an hour and it was just really a lot of fun. So uh, as always, listeners, I just ask that you compassionately consider the perspective of Daniel Rushing. Enjoy the episode. You know, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I wonder if there are any realistic socialists out there who are like, yeah, it's a great idea, but um, in its purest form, we haven't seemed to figure that out yet. So. Right. Same can be said with capitalism. We haven't Absolutely. seen the purest form of capitalism either. And so whenever I hear people say, well, capitalism bad and then socialism bad, I'm like, well, we actually don't know what it really looks like, though. Exactly. Because we yeah. have that human element. Because That's all the thing, systems. Right? All systems are perfect, but mm-hmm. we make it not perfect. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. we found a way to leverage, you know, power dynamics, the powerful do at least, yes. to, you know, make things work in their favor in all systems. So I agree. Yeah. I, power is bad. It's just the more, the more I think I understand the way other people view power and, 
you know, how we sometimes um, switch up and use power and empowerment at the same way. I don't know. I think there's, I think when I think about power, I always see evil. I always see corruption. Um, and I think who would ever want that kind of power? And it, it's, it's like the underlying message behind so many movements. It's about power, 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 power. And I'm like, but power is what these people have right now. And they lord it over us. And why do we want that? Because won't it turn us into that? And Mm -hmm. so there's that. Yeah. And so, excuse me. And that's kind of where my post today was kind of going. Mm-hmm. It's kind of bringing to light ideas similar to that, like that, you know, like resist, resist, resist. And I'm like, well, you know, sometimes we're just supposed to surrender. Mm. And, you know, a, that looks like weakness. That looks like being right. a doormat. That looks like being a pacifist. Um, right. But sometimes it's like, this is a battle I don't want to participate in, or this is a battle I, I know I'm not going to win. Mm-hmm. And so it's like, what can I do instead that impacts my direct proximity that actually does put something positive into the universe. Yeah. And hopefully that kind of works its way into this bigger problem at some point. No. Yeah. No, I I get that. Yeah. I, um, I was actually talking to someone earlier today and um, not necessarily about that, but just thinking about how overwhelming it is sometimes to think about all the corruption in the world. You know, and there are places like even the corruption we deal with, deal with right now, as bad as it is, um, there are places in this world where like some really, really bad shit is happening, <laughs> like some yeah. really crazy bad shit, you know. Yeah. And so this person uh, had asked me, you know, how do you deal with that? Like, how do you how do you find peace in yourself when you know that kind of thing is going on? And for me, that is we're, we you and I were talking earlier about Western philosophy and for me, that is um, one of my takeaways from Western philosophies that I actually appreciate is, you know, this idea of stoicism, mm-hmm. um, or at least that, that stream of it, which says, I'm going to try my best to control the things I can yeah. and learn to let go of the things I cannot. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I guess some on the far extreme of like social justice, justice movements may see that as a cop out. Um, yeah just as those on the extremes of, you know, more right-wing kind of fundamental authority structures um, would see it too. But at the end of the day, I mean, it, for me, it has helped me find peace and also to find order and structure in my life because I'm someone who can be easily overwhelmed with that stuff. You know, I can Mm. easily be overwhelmed with, with frustration about all the bad things that are happening in the world. But um, that is one of the beauties of Western philosophy, a little bit, more so than Eastern, which some Eastern philosophy kind of lends itself to just ignore it and it goes away. In my yeah. opinion, I'm like, yeah. okay. <laughs> I get that sense from a lot of Eastern religion and, and ideology too. Sometimes it's like, yeah, eh, it's not a concern. Right. Well, are you sure? Yeah. Yeah. You know, to be free from suffering is just to be oblivious to it. And I don't know that I agree with that. You know, um, there has to be a way to, be aware of it, but also to be at peace with your limited influence or control over it. You know? Yeah. And, and, and to find a way, I always think, okay, well, there's this, this problem and, and, you know, whatever avenue there is, it is, but it exists. And I think maybe if I can't directly solve it, 
I can find a way that lends credence to the possibility of solving it. Mm. And for example, what I mean is perversion of sex, molestation, abuse, assault, sex trafficking, right? That is, for me, those are the ultimate horrors of life. Those are the ultimate fears that I, that I hold, that, that something like that could happen to me or my children. And instead of letting that fear overwhelm you, because I mean, I'm a mom, number one, so I'm always worrying. And I'm always presupposing and I'm always trying to, you know, have that sixth sense of, oh, someone's going to get hurt today. And I want to try and, you know, prohibit that from happening. But, you know, there's, there's a way that you can take that worry and put it into something useful. And so for me, that was like, okay, well, this is my ultimate fear. But at the other end of it, in regard to sex, it's also something I really enjoy and gain a lot of pleasure mm-hmm. out of. And so how do you even balance that, right? You know that other people are hurt by the same thing that you get a pleasure out of. Right. How do you find a balance in that? Yeah. So for me, it's like, well, offer education and a better understanding and a wider view of sexuality and how it can be good and pleasurable and how it doesn't have to be exploited and manipulated. And, you know, hopefully that offers a little tilt back into that balance where- Yeah. I can wrestle with that tension in the back of my mind. I know it exists. I'm not ignoring it. Mm-hmm. I can't let it overwhelm me, but I can do something good to try and counter that. Yeah. yeah. Provide a credit to the deficit. Absolutely. Yeah. No, I love that. And I was just thinking as you were talking, I think a lot of movements and of course I'm most familiar when it comes to, you know, conversations around sex, around what we have historically seen, how we've historically seen it talked about within the evangelical church. And I think, or even in a lot of iterations of Christianity that aren't evangelical in nature, how that the way that that problem has been dealt with is, well, we just won't talk about sex, right? <laughs> like <laughs> that's the way we're going to deal with it is because it is, such, it can be such a powerful thing and it can lend itself to so many perversions or negative consequences, you know, um, which all of us have, difficulty dealing with and and sorting through so let's just not talk about it so I'm really encouraged when I see you talk about it and I've I've shared this with you before I've said for a long time it's something that needs to be talked about more and um, you know not just and the way that you're doing it too with kind of this academic approach as well like really diving in and researching and sharing Um, it's 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 what we need to do if we're going to ever actually address the issues of like sex trafficking and the way power is used in in sex to harm others. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. You know, and I got to be honest, I've been seeing a lot of people bring the, you know, just sex as a general topic kind of more out in the forefront. Uh, I think um, Fade to Gray Network is when I actually just recently saw their network of different podcasters and they did this like Zoom session thing and they were talking about it. And, you know, I, I critiqued them a little bit and I, I poked at them and it was with an intentionality to kind of encourage them to keep going though. But it was like, what they demonstrated was this, the vision I got was eighth grade health class with a gym teacher, gym teacher teaching it to you. Right. And, and it was like this really uncomfortable setting and there was a lot of giggling and there was a lot of cracking jokes and there was a lot of like, what? And are you kidding me? And a lot of unfamiliar unfamiliarity and then just so much discomfort and I thought this is real though I mean like I appreciated being able to see it you know because I don't know if you do this but a lot of times I come I step to people and expect them to know what I know 
Right. And so oh, I was yeah. going to pull back a little bit and I'm like, they don't know what I know, but I love seeing these conversations evolve so much. And so you want to encourage them while at the same time being aware of how we still find this like to be a silly topic Mm-hmm. And a, a conversation where we're like, are we supposed to have this kind of conversation on the internet or at a bar or even at a church? You know, church is like, oh, no, that's off limits. There's a different time and place for that. But the reality is, is we need to normalize it in discussions and conversations like this so that we can get over that giggly eighth grade mm-hmm. health class phase and, right. and advance. And then people can really find, I would say, trust and, and you know, integrity and in sharing difficulties and challenges and, and fears and mishaps or whatever it is Mm -hmm. and that we can help each other because, you know, that takes me back to the whole physician heal thyself. And then as we're healing ourselves, we can bring other people into that healing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So that's more or less what a lot of this has been for me is just me kind of like re-educating myself after kind of stripping all of the ideas down and going, but what's true for me? And what mm-hmm. works for me and, and what's best for me. And then that's a healing process. And that's also an evolution process. But I don't know. I kind of feel like we're supposed to share that with other people. Right. And bring them in so that we can all understand each other better. Because mm-hmm. like we, we make these calls for equality and then diversity. But I'm like, well, if we all have the same ideas about sex, that's not very diverse. Mm-hmm. And if some people are successful in the whole sexual realm and others aren't, that's not really equal either. And so somehow for me, this is just my contribution to social justice. So (laughs) (laughs) I love that. I love that. Yeah. And it's such a universal thing too. You know, I was, um, I mean, sex is such a a universal part of most everyone's life in some way. And I don't know. I feel like right now we talk a lot about the things that we diverge on and we're really big on highlighting how our experiences are different you know from each other and yeah even to the point of well you can't talk to me about my experience because you've never experienced it yes which is just complete bs i might not be an informed um conversant in the conversation but we can still have the conversations you know we can still talk about things and talk about experiences but you know sex is one of those universal topics that um like you said, we don't talk about in any way that's kind of normal or um, in in a way that feels unlike the eighth grade sex education class. Yeah. But but being able to enter those conversations, you were talking about that podcast. Did you say that was fade to gray? I just wrote that down. Yeah. Fade to gray network. I Uh think that's like the overarching network. And then there's like, I don't know, four or five podcasts within that group. Okay. Um, but I think if you just search for it on Facebook, even th- th- that's where they posted like the, the zoom sessions was on that, that Facebook page. Right. Yeah. But just being able to go into those type of settings and be aware that they don't know what you know. Right. And to be able to talk without being cynical is so key right now. Like it's yeah. so key. And um, I don't even know, like, how was that received? Was it received well or was there pushback? Like, um, how, how was that? No, I think... I mean, there was a lot of jesting within the comments, but there were also other people encouraging them because this is a topic that, you know, you don't hear about. And what's funny is they did a second video and they kind of polled their audience and asked them the topic they wanted to do. And given everything we're going through right now, 
people say sex. Mm. And so I see that and I'm like, when for eroticism today? Okay. <laughs> like when? And, yeah. um, and so it's just things like that. They're just really encouraging. And what's also really great is I just love seeing that eroticism injected into the chaos and bullshit right now. Yeah. Like we're on the heels of the election and we're going into the second wave of Corona chaos and, and, you know, Black Lives Matter murals are being damaged and destroyed and Trump's Goya and blah, 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 blah. Right. And people are like, give me sex. And I'm like, yes, yes, yeah. sex, sex, sex. Because <laughs> I'm always like, I, you know, I say silly things like this too. Like, you know, you wouldn't, you wouldn't be so upset about Trump if you were out having sex or yeah, you wouldn't right. be this mad. Just go have sex. Or do you yeah. want to lower your stress? Do you want to build your immune system? Go have sex. You know, right. and people are like, are you serious right now at a time like this? But to see that, it's like, there is hope in humanity. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We just, for whatever reason, carry shame about, you know, thinking about those things for some reason. I mean, well, I know the reason. We've been conditioned to think that way. Yes, we have. Yeah. So. Yeah. Um, we have been programmed to. Yes. Keep it in the bedroom. And then when the bedroom is overflowing with problems and issues and dysfunctions and deficiencies, what do mm -hmm. we do? What do we do? Where do we, where, who do we turn to? And what's brilliant though, is I think also what like these discussions and these, in these forums and ways that we can communicate is, is showing a new evolution of how we connect to one another and communicate too. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> And um, I think that's really important. And that's, I think, showing a transformation of possibility mm -hmm. that will be able to, and, you know, I love all of these forums because we can do this and I, right. we're thousands of miles away, but like yeah. we can have conversations. And I think this is how we impact the universe, you know, mm -hmm. and, and it's one conversation at a time. It's something that I, I constantly go back to. It was like, you know, the inspiration behind this whole podcast was Theodore Zeldin's one conversation at a time will change the entire world. Oh, wow. And so if we're able to do that and get into these vulnerable areas where we're talking about things society tells us not to, we're shattering status quo, you know, we're doing something radical and on top of it, it's encouraging and it's loving and it's edifying and it's, it's, it's helping people. Mm -hmm. And that's, I, I don't know, for me, that's like, Jesus was all about that love and help yeah. and, and support. And so through all of that, and so interestingly enough, sex is also that love mm -hmm. and support and edification. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, let's just keep it going with that. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. Do you think um, you were talking about all the like things going on right now and earlier you, in your earlier post, I'm just curious, are you, let me ask this first. So do, have you read Rene Girard? Are you familiar with like mimetic theory and scapegoating and that kind of thing? I have not read any okay. of his books. Okay. I have read other people yes. on Girard. Gotcha. So, um, what's his face? Michael Harden. Mike Harden. Yeah. Yeah. So Michael Harden and I've had conversations with Michael about him yeah. too, to kind of better understand them. Yeah. Mike's great. He's very, very approachable. And, yeah. Um, and he, he's a wealth of knowledge with, with yeah. hermetic theory and he helps me understand it in a way that I don't, I can't from the book, you know, and it's, sure. um, so I'm familiar with it, but I yeah. still have yet to read a book, but anyway, yeah. mimetic well, theory. I, yeah, I was just going to say, you know, the, the way things are right now, especially in, in conversations on social media, it feels like the frenzy that Gerard talks about, this frenzy to find the scapegoat. And yes. 
it's like the goalposts are always moving yes. and the target keeps moving and everybody's playing the game now. Everybody knows how to do it. Even the powerful, like Trump, we're all, we're all trying to troll one another. It feels like. I know. And you know, and that's why I have very strong feelings about many things, social justice. I have very strong feelings about many things, um, you know, in the political world. And I used to share a lot more than I used to. Like if you go back to a lot of my stuff from like 2013, 2014, um, but it was a different, it felt different. It and, did feel different. It yeah, felt like and, you could say something and you weren't going to be threatened. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And now it's just like insane. And everybody's trying to find who's, and I'm guilty of it too. Like oh, what, lab, too. what label do you fall under? I'm looking for those keywords, right? And like, mm -hmm. oh, well, they're one of those. Yeah. And so it's so wild. And Gerard, in my opinion, but you know, obviously he felt like his work was still in the early stages um, and looked forward to how, how it will be developed. But when you read <clears throat> his vision of how these societies end up doing these really crazy things in history, yeah. um, this frenzy is, it's, it's identical to what he explains. It's, it's happening right before us. And it's almost like we're in the tidal wave. We can't stop it. It's, it's and don't you just what's happening. It's even compounded more because of the technology that we have yes. available to us. We can get not just one, one uh, uh, reflection of another person to imitate. We can actually get five yes. of just one person's reflections based on how much social media we see. Yes. And we typically, and I'm guilty of it too, have a majority of people that think this way, more mm -hmm. like me. Then not like me. And yep. so then we're constantly marrying each other on that. Yep. And we don't even realize that we're duplicating each other's energy and all of that energy is really bad. Yeah. And uh -huh. we're all doing the wrong thing. Like, um, one of my friends said something like, what if just because we all agree on this and we all agree it's morally irreprehensible and, and unforgivable, blah, blah, blah. What if we're all wrong? You know? Mm -hmm. And it's like to, do we stop and go, wait, what if my opinion is wrong, even though I have 4,327 friends that agree with me? You know, like, <laughs> right. what if we're all wrong, though? And then where well, do we go from there? Yeah. But it's astounding at the same time that we willingly imitate that bullshit. Like, mm -hmm. I get so pissed at myself yeah. when I find myself getting mean. I'm like, <laughs> damn it. I yep. was doing, I, I went three <laughs> days without being mean to somebody. And yeah. there it was, a little shadow ego pops out. And I'm like, that's oh. right. It does and, it. Yeah. <laughs> well, the algorithm plays into that as mm -hmm. well. You know, we yeah. have an algorithm that keeps us in an echo chamber for the most yes. part. And you have to intentionally try to manipulate the algorithm if you want your newsfeed to produce any diversity because yeah. it and that's the one thing uh, you know Gerard I guess never um considered the role that artificial intelligence would play in mimetic theory and we're starting to see now how how that mm. technology actually does affect us because we're basically cyborgs I mean we're kind of living and attached to our devices now we, that's how they actually are a reservoir of information is where we get information from um it's how we live and work even shop now but yeah i think that um you know 
the algorithm and Sam Harris said something. I don't know if you've heard Sam Harris's recent podcast called, can we come back from the brink? Have you listened to that at all? That one? No, Um, uh, the last one I listened to was, the last one I listened to was him talking on black lives matter. Okay. Well, this one is just called, can we come back from the brink? And he kind of addresses this sort of frenzy that we find ourselves in. And, um, he says something to the effect of this isn't a direct quote, but it's something like this. He says that social media threw us all into a science experiment that none of us signed up for. Yeah. And now we're just beginning to sort of figure out how this is going. But those, those algorithms are insane. I mean, what TikTok has done in the past couple of years um, with an algorithm. Wait, it's been around a few years. It has. Um, I didn't even know that. I thought it just came out within the last year. It just, I tell you what, COVID made it blow up. Because (laughs) before COVID, it was mostly middle schoolers and young people. And when COVID hit, a lot of parents got on it. A lot of my friends got on it. And then I went, I am not your friend anymore, weirdo. (laughs) (laughs) Like, what are you doing? Yeah, I know. My knees are listening to you. No. (laughs) But there's so much stuff on there now. Everything, you know, know. it's just, and it's so wild. And that algorithm, nobody knows how they do it. It's like crack. I mean, if you get on there, it, it addicts you because it will give you a steady stream of one minute videos that it knows you will love. Yeah. And in 20 or 30 minutes, you're like, oh my God, I've been sitting here 30 minutes looking yeah. at this thing. Yeah. But artificial intelligence and its role in all this um, is definitely something that I find fascinating. It is brilliant and it's scary at the same time because sometimes I think I'm doing the right things to kind of keep the algorithms from stalking me. Yeah. And then I won't even say anything. I was only thinking something. <laughs> I was thinking something and suddenly there it is. And I'm like, how did that happen? I didn't even speak around a device about it. What is going on? You know, because sometimes I'm really even careful about talking around the devices. Me too. I take them out of the room. Because when I do, my first dad is like, were you talking about scrambled eggs? Here's what we got for you. And I'm like, you freak. Don't listen (laughs) to me. I always leave all my devices in my office like when I'm doing other stuff. And I just think. It's so damn brilliant because then it's like, oh, didn't you, didn't you say something about a new mixer the other day? Here's one on sale. And I'm like, hi, Amazon. Yes. Next day. Thank you. Fuck you, AI. I spend way too much money because AI convinces me I need to, but here's the thing. And, um, my friend said something about this earlier today too, is like, have you ever seen the movie WALL-E? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I think that's what they want for us. Mm. You know what I mean? And then, I mean, I know a lot of people are like, oh, they want to do the matrix and just use us for energy. That's what's going to happen. But I really, I just feel like we always have a device in our face. Yeah. And I'm constantly yelling at my kids about that, right? Like, I'm like, can I like see your face? Hi, can Mm -hmm. I see your face? Can Mm -hmm. you look at me? I'm right here. I'm talking to you. Because even when we're having a conversation, they're like, "Uh uh-huh. And I'm like, I'm not going to talk to you. And I mean, I do have that role. If you want to talk with me, put your phone down. Look at me. Pay attention. But we don't even extend that. But anyway, we always have these devices in our faces. I think eventually we're going to get around. We're going to just be so big and obese. We can't even walk. We're going to be floating around on hovercrafts. And everything is right here. And we're missing all of this yeah yeah like we have a pool there's a pool you know like we're gonna realize there's a pool 
Mm -hmm. And And even within this conversation, we've discussed both the benefits of it as well as, you know, some of the ways that we see this being um, unhealthy. Yeah. So I don't know, maybe we humans just need to find balance. It's, it's just a lot right now. Yeah. You know, I've been doing that more too, though. I like, I've been intentional lately. Um, I have a lot of crazy, stupid shit going on with my family. So like I have a restraining order against me from my father-in-law and my brother-in-law who work here on the property that I live on. Wow. It's so dumb. And it's not against my kids. It's not against my husband. They tried to get me evicted from my house, the house I live in with my family, not my husband, not my kids, all because I hurt my brother-in-law's feelings and called him like a little bitch mm. and told him he wasn't cut out for farming, but it was, it's 15 years of bullshit. Yeah. And because like I, I told my father-in-law to stop spraying pesticides on our pasture mm. and it was like too much. I have too much control and power. You won't control your wife, blah, blah, blah. Mm. So anyway, So where they work is 97 feet away from my front door. The restraining order is 100 feet. The judge wasn't willing to kick me out of my house. Imagine that. 100 feet. So I haven't been able to go outside and I've been depressed about it, right? Like Because they're here all freaking day everywhere. So I go out to my clothing line. If they're here, I'm violating the restraining order. Wow. So my husband has to come out. Anyway, I've been really bummed about that. So I've been cooped up in my house, but I had the, I went to, and I appealed it on Friday and I just was like, at this point, I don't care. They're not going to keep me forced in my house. And I, I correctly measured everything. So I know I'm not violating anything. And I'm like, you know what? Things get to me and they overwhelm me. I need to go outside. So my point is, is that I've lately been intentional about getting outside. I think we don't get outside a lot right? and we need the sun. The sun literally heals us. It's the weirdest thing. Mm -hmm. But I always feel like when I, when I put my hands in the dirt, I'm like rerouting myself. Mm. And there's just little methods and practices that we can do that we don't even realize, like even just taking like three minutes to just pay attention to breathing in and out and centering ourselves and quieting the voices, but removing ourselves from technology and the blue screens and, and the notifications and, and, you know, the demands to give a reaction because all of that stuff just stimulates like our ego and pulls us out of the present and pulls us into an emotion and a reaction that might not even be real. It could just be activating something that once affected us before that maybe we should go, Hey, should I look at that? What's that about? And I don't know, when I go outside, I feel like my thoughts just kind of float around in the wind and they come back in a way that I can see things clearly. So Mm -hmm. I think we do, we, we, to find that balance, I think nature is the answer. I think that's Mm -hmm. why, you know, it's so important to us too. Like that's why we have this ritualistic sacred sense about our planet that Mm -hmm. it provides for us. And so we need to ensure that it's here. Right. And that we're taking care of it, but we also need to be connecting to it. Like it's one mm-hmm. thing to be like, I care about the planet, but are you connecting to it? Mm-hmm. No, you can care about the planet all you want and make sure that, you know, you grab bioorganic and da, 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 but you're not connecting to it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> you're missing the, the, the healing benefit of it all. Right. Yeah. yeah. Which is like, I mean, it, it heals you. It helps you. It, it helps you. Um, process vitamin d too right like sunlight helps you with vitamin d and 
and all that kind of thing. Yeah, and I think us Northerners suffer from a vitamin D deficiency, so we should oh, get on wow. the outside more. Yeah. yeah. So. Yeah, I think I know. Co like when COVID happened in our neighborhood, I've started to see more people out, and mm. when I've went to parks and and hiked the ones that have been open because that's one thing I did early on in COVID because everything else was shut down. So I would just go hike. Um, there was more and more people out there and you could tell that it was like their first time, you know, like they were just first getting acquainted with the park and the trails and, you know, all that kind of thing. So um, I do see at least you know, like in my neighborhood, a little bit more of that, even in my own family, you know, my wife and I, we spend way more time on the front porch than we ever did. And that's because during COVID, we were actually home a lot together. And, you know, after a while, it's like, well, let's go outside and let's sit out here. Yeah. But, um, yeah, you're so right. And maybe that's part of the answer to finding balance is not, let me, let me rephrase that, is being careful not to divorce ourselves totally from things that are more natural. Yeah. Um, whether that be things like sex or whether it just be getting outside and getting our hands in the dirt. You know, yeah. those things that are very primitive and are very much part of what it has meant to be a human yeah. up until this point, even though most people don't need to farm, um, or at least they think they don't. They might one day. Oh. But <laughs> you don't want to. Not lucrative. <laughs> yeah. So maybe that's part of the solution to it all is is – not 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 stepping away too much of those things that are very natural and innate to our humanity. Yeah. Um, but I don't know. Yeah. You know, I was curious too, I was just talking about how you noticed how people were out in nature. Did you notice it all? I noticed this. When we it seemed like we were starting to go back out, did you notice people were more willing to small talk with you? Yes. Totally. I did too. I felt like everyone was like, oh, do you want to talk to me right now? Cause I want to talk to you because I haven't talked to anybody else. Can we yeah. just talk? Let's just talk about the way. And I mean, that's how it felt with every exchange. And it was, it was delightful It was because I was like, people are talking to each other again. Cause I was concerned people were going to be scared of each other. Right. But it seemed like people had this longing mm -hmm. to have, how you doing? Yeah. Oh, Oh, I'm, I'm just stocking up. Don't mind my full cart. You know, anything to just, yeah. spark a conversation and have that yeah. exchange with someone else. I thought it was actually really incredible. And even still, I find that when we go out, everybody's just so chatty lately. And I just think I miss these days. These, I remember last year thinking everybody's so stern and serious and nobody smiles at each other and nobody's talking. Mm -hmm. And it feels like that's maybe a silver lining of all of this. I mean, yeah. one of them, I know yeah. there's plenty more, but I, I noticed that and I thought it was really Kind of yeah, no, I did. I did, I did too. Um, I mean, even on hiking trails. And when you said that, I immediately remembered. I mean, one of the times I went and hiked, I probably had in two miles three or four conversations with just random people. Um, whether I stopped a snack and they were coming through, or um, there's you know one point where the path diverges and um, ended up talking to someone for a while there. But um, I was listening. This is kind of crazy. You're talking about like this eagerness to want to talk to one another. My daughters were listening. I think they were watching Glee earlier, the TV show, mm. and they were singing the song, a few of my favorite things. And one of the lines, and I Googled it just to make sure I heard it correctly. But one of the lines of a few of my favorite things is doorbells and sleigh bells and then schnitzel with noodles. But 
I just found it interesting that doorbells was one of the things that was, you know, a favorite thing back when this song was written. It was written, I don't remember when, but. Uh, oh, oh, quite some time yeah, ago. Yeah, some time ago, right? Yeah. So I was going to see if it said the year, but. Um, doorbells. Now, yeah, right? Like, and, and why, why is that? You know, people coming to visit, people dropping by. And yes. you know, we used to get excited about them. I mean, I remember even, and I was raised in the 80s. Um, so even then, I mean, there was an excitement around someone at the door over to the house. Yeah. Somebody's here. Who's yeah, there? exactly. Yeah. And we would, yeah. we, people would sit around and talk and just shoot the breeze for hours. And, and then we're not like that anymore. No, we we're don't. Like, who is at the door? Is it the police? <laughs> oh God, I don't want to see anybody. Did right you tell now. people we were home? <laughs> I ignored their call. You know, that's what we do now. That's right. Totally. Like, oh no, it's, it's anxiety inducing when we <laughs> yes. hear the doorbell now. Or when we hear the phone ring too. I'm not a, yeah. uh, someone's calling me to like yeah. talk. Yeah. I don't want to talk. Nope. Yeah. It's I, weird. I feel that. And it's just <laughs> different. It's just a different time, but I miss, you know, I, we are, we do progress and we do evolve as people, but um, I do miss a lot of those things. You know, I, I miss being able, and I think you and I may have even had this conversation on Facebook or at least on one of your posts just about how used to people could just sit around and just BS and not worry about being right or wrong, but just yeah. talk, yeah. you know, about crazy ideas. Sometimes my dad and you know, people from the church would come over and I would hear some of their conversations and, you know, they would talk about everything from UFOs to the Bible to politics and had some of the craziest ideas, but yeah. it was just fun. You know, it's just fun to talk and we don't, Oh no, we don't think we have very much fun talking anymore, especially on social media. It's it feels no. like it's uh, it feels it like feels you're always like, on trial. Yeah, and and you have to be you're you have to really kind of have a talk with yourself. Like, are you going to get into this? Because you know, if you get into this, you're going to yep. get into this. That's right. And so you have to. <laughs> and I feel like so many people come like prepared with like all this argumentative ammo, and I'm like, dude, it it's just an opinion. You know, like, it's okay. Just, yeah. it's not that serious. Mm -hmm. And when people get too rowdy with me, people say it's my cop-out and they're like, you're such a troll that's your cop-out. But it's the way I, end, I try to end fights is I try to be funny. Mm -hmm. And my husband hates it, but he still loves it. Yeah. And it's always dirty or sex-related, right? Because I just want to be like, God, this person is so damn mad right now. And I'm so not that mad. And so I'll say something like, it hasn't been a long time since you had sex. <laughs> I've seen or, you say that before. You know, and people get so mad, but, and then they get even more mad. And I'm like, yeah, that's what it is. Because I'm over here like, I get mad about things. I emotionally react. And then I'm like, Danielle, settle. You know, and I, 99% of the things I get upset about, I let go within like 10 minutes. I'm, I'm over it. Sure. Yeah. But and that goes back to what I've said. If we had more sex, we wouldn't be so outraged about everything. Like we've turned outrage into the orgasm and I'm like, can we get back to the real mm -hmm. orgasm? And so that's what I try and do though. Like that's the way I'm letting you know, I really appreciated all this, but I'm going to leave you with a joke. We're going to yeah. calm the hell down because people take, you know, it's like oh, something really ridiculous. Like, well, I don't think it's fair to say about all Trump supporters that they're that. <gasps> And it's just like ingrained in their soul that you've betrayed and violated everything that they believe. And I just think 
this is over a, a president that we're getting this like i my grandfather punched a dude over the fact that like he decided to vote for trump instead of someone else and i'm like wow. you're, you're like 60 dude what are you doing like you can't just <laughs> punch people and i think that's where it's escalated to so i always try and dip out with a joke and some humor and so that it doesn't have to be left at the only thing left to say is fuck you you're an asshole you're a racist you're a bigot i hate you you know it's like i'm gonna make you go think about sex how about that and maybe that'll work that's my yeah. little sprinkle on the sex there <laughs> yeah <laughs> <laughs> so there's that um so you are a health coach um, yeah, I, so year, a few years ago, um, I actually got involved in coaching and um, I, I, I originally started out just doing coaching with um, like ministers and churches and that kind of thing, other leaders within that, because I mean, that's my, that's my background. I was going to even today in the conversation we had on Facebook say, Hey, listen, this is probably a lot of my classical training, biblical training background coming up. Cause I mean, I went to seminary and even though it was a more moderate seminary, it's still kind of the classic, you know, track or whatever. Um, so that's really the world I operate. You're going to flex your scholar muscle there. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know about that because sometimes I feel like <laughs> seminary is a great thing. I, I do feel like seminary needs to evolve to actually meet the needs of training leaders and ministers yeah. in the 21st century. Schools and churches are always a little behind um, the curve. And yeah. um, that's especially true in schools that are focused on the church. <laughs> so, yes. And there's all kinds of reasons for that. Financial reasons being one of them, because you got to have those donors. And so you can't move faster than the donors theology. Um, yes. But so I did that and was actually like a, a, a licensed coach um, at that time and did some things in that regard. But just recently, um, you know, th during COVID and I've, I've talked a bit publicly about my struggle with um, depression last year, which was really, really rough. And um, I mean, I was sick. I was really sick. And part of the way that I have um, found health or um, at least survived has been to focus on my physical health. Mm. So, you know, I've learned some things. I've picked up some things. And so I'm kind of using uh, my coaching background as well as, you know, the journey that I'm on um, to offer that to others who, who might be interested in changing the way that they approach health and that kind of thing. So I like um, that. That's what I'm doing with that. Yeah. Yeah. And I, and you know, it's, just, it's, it's a new endeavor. I've actually got a couple of new endeavors going on. That's one of them, but yeah. And do you incorporate um, your, your Christianity into it? Um, or you kind of segregate a little yeah, bit. There? I mean, to a degree. So I, uh, I don't know that I'll ever be able to fully, and I am a Christian, by the way, like I haven't left the faith, but even if I were, I don't think I would ever be able to divorce myself from a lot of those beliefs and elements because yeah. they've just made such an imprint on my life. Yeah. Um, I was raised in the Pentecostal church as well. And so, um, I often get asked, are you still Pentecostal? And I'm like, I don't know that you can ever not be. 
um, because there's so much of that good and bad that leaves an imprint on you that, you know, it's, it's always there. It's always present, but it's not really something that I feel, you know, like I'm not a Christian health coach or you know, yeah. something like that. Um, yeah. And I'm sure some coaches take that approach a little more so, but really, you know, it's more about encouragement and accountability and mm, um, being able to good. Off, accountability. Yeah. And being able just to ask the right questions or at least try to ask the right questions. That's really what coaching is, is all about. It's, it's a, um, it's a process, you know, and it's, yeah. it's not saying you have all the answers, but that you're on the journey with them. And yeah. You know, I used to be really skeptical of coaching. Like I was like, there's a life coach and there's a, there's a, yeah. there's a, this coach. And then I did life coaching with Jamal Javanji. Mm. And, and I like, when I first was introduced to him, I couldn't even stand him either. And I'm like, he's so fucking cheesy. Are you kidding? Me? <laughs> um, but I don't know what it was like. There was something about him. And then he showed me coaching from a different view. And then oddly, I started getting really close to these other people and then I'd, I'd, I'd find out that they're a life coach and I'm like, what, what I'm friends with all these life coaches all of a sudden what's going on. Yeah. I, I agree. And for so long I was like, people don't need a coach. Da, 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 da. That's just a gimmick. They need a therapist. But I thought, nah, this is a new transformation of therapy too. Yeah, totally. And what it <clears throat> is more so is it's not, it's not like it's different than just a patient based relationship. It's, someone who is working with you directly and trying to authentically know who you are and curate something to help you specifically, which I think is so much better. I mean, cause that's what I have to do with homeschooling, right? Like each kid is different. Each kid has different, you know, challenges and, and, and is proficient in other things. And so you have to curate to that. And I looked at it under that lens. Like, this is like what I do at home with my kids. I, I like this. Um, but I think that if we were willing to coach other people and, and whether it be get licensed or not, I think we need to take on that persona once in a while with totally. People. Yeah. That's what people are looking People want to be validated. They want to, right. they want to be heard. Yeah. And they want to be known. They want to be understood. And I think that coaching provides that. But you know, the one thing that I didn't expect was, well, there was an inkling inside of me where I was like, I want to do this. But then I was like, no, I don't not. Uh, I need to learn shit first. Um, and I've had a lot of people go, will you be my life coach? And I'm like, no, you don't want me as a life coach. I'm a, I'm a shitty mom. Come on. <laughs> Are you kidding me? Ask my older kids. I fucked them up big time. Um, I, I thought this is what we need to be for people, yeah. you know, and this it's, it's a connection you make through coaching mm -hmm. that you can actually, and anyway, so I just, I, I was a skeptic and I was like critical and condemned coaching. And then I went through it myself and it like really changed me, but, and it took me out of that expectation that in order to help somebody, you have to be an expert and you have right. to have all these fancy degrees and all these letters behind your name and, and know all this shit, but you really don't. All you have to do is listen to somebody. That's and That's, and that's what makes it, I think, so attractive to those who've actually done it is that you, people want to be heard. And also a good coach is going to help you discover that a lot of the answers are are within you. Like you yes. have the answers. Yes. You just need some help getting to them. Yes. And, yes. Uh, and there definitely is that therapeutic dynamic. Um, I had a, and I had a very similar experience. So I was very cynical. I was cynical because the first life coaches I saw were all prosperity preachers. You know, it's like Paula White, TD Jakes, life coach. Yeah. Um, 
so, and I actually think what they do is not actually life coaching. It's something quite different, but <laughs> so then I had a coach, Eddie Hammett was my coach and he's a, a phenomenal coach. But, um, you know, in, in that process, uh, he was saying, I think it was Sam or, or do, when I was doing some coaching certification, they talked about coaching, uh, and therapy, how similar they are, but therapy tends to, um, ask a lot of questions about the past mm-hmm. and tries to resolve those issues. Whereas coaching looks forward. Yes. And then of course there's, um, spiritual direction, which is also kind of in the same camp, spiritual direction, but it looks up. So mm. therapy back, coaching forward, spiritual direction up. And I like so that. that's kind of one way I explain it to people to help them understand what it is. Cause some people who want coaching, they think it's that you've got the answers and yeah. you're going to come in and tell them how to do it and get, you know, train them. But that's not what it is. This is more like one of my clients one time said, I feel like I'm playing racquetball and you're on the court with me and we're just both volleying the ball back and forth. Mm. And and that's what it's about. It's about a good coach is going to get on the court with you and help bounce ideas around. Just, you know, yeah. ask some questions that don't work, ask some questions that do work, but just keep trying until we help um, the client uh, find, you know, some of the answers that they're looking for within themselves, come up with answers themselves rather than relying on, yeah. on, an, ex- on an expert. That sounds like something that Matt, Matt Kahn says. Are you familiar with him? I'm not, no. Oh, he's like this spiritual dude. Um, okay. How do, you spell, how do you spell that? Matt Kahn, K-A-H-N. K-A-H-N, okay. But he says something similar. He says the answers are all within us. The answer to every question we have is already within. Mm. And sometimes we just need other experiences and exchanges to help pull those answers out. And they don't always come to us exactly when we ask the question. But eventually, if, if we pay attention, all the questions we've asked have been answered or will be answered. Um, but I especially think that coaches do help you. That's the one thing that I always liked is, is Jamal would, you know, ask me a question and I think, you know, I think I've been asked a question like that before, but it just sounds different now. Yeah. And now I understand it. And so, mm-hmm. um, and I think that just kind of parlays in really well with this whole movement and evolution of, of connection and kind of yeah. aim toward that whole collective consciousness. Mm-hmm. We have to listen to each other and, and see each other and, and let other people be heard. And sometimes that means that, you know, the best way you can help somebody sometimes is just to offer them your silence and let them go on and on and on. You know, I, how many conversations I've been a part of where I actually didn't talk. And at the end of it, they're like, thank you. Yeah. Oh my God. And you're like, yeah. 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 It's like, it's the best experience ever too, because you're like, all I had to do was just be open to you. And if we could pay that forward everywhere, Mm-hmm. you know? Um, so yeah. So that's and maybe And maybe that is a way that we're finding connection. Um, I mean, I've heard cynics in the past talk about therapy and how, you know, used to, you'd talk to a friend. Now you have to pay someone to talk to them. Yeah. And I get the cynicism behind that, but you know, if it's, if it's helping and if it's giving people a place that is safe where they can be heard and process and if that's hard to find, then we do need to find ways to create it and to make yeah. those. Spend. So um, yeah. maybe that's one way we're doing that. I don't know. Yeah. Well, well, hopefully we continue to evolve and progress with new ideas that are, I would say, inclusive and intimate. I think mm-hmm. intimacy, if we aim towards intimacy, that 
will be able to kind of help. Yeah. 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 Okay. Do you see vulnerability as part of intimacy? Yes. I think you can't really be vulnerable without it being intimate. I mean, you're kind of exposing a truth of yourself to someone. So you Mm -hmm. have to, you really have to develop some kind of a trusting connection, you know, to be able to peel that stuff back, you know, cause I mean, what I've said this over and over, it took a long time for, you know, my husband to feel comfortable with being vulnerable with me because I was always so like, don't talk about shit like that and don't bring that crap up. And uh, uh, that's not what the Bible's okay with. And da, 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 da. But you have to get to that point where you're like, wait, I like said for better or worse and till death do us part. And there should be nothing that I'm willing to, you know, heap shame over somebody for that I claim to love. And, yeah, you know, so, um, but even beyond that, not just with partners, I mean, that's how we develop the connections is we show them that we're open to that. Mm-hmm. You know, we give them our proximity and we, you know, include the senses in that too. in a lot of aspects, but just being able to, you know, hold space for each other. I think that's intimate. And that allows the space for the vulnerability to just kind of pour out and you yeah. get to really reveal yourself to another person. Yeah. And I ask that because I feel like that's something that there's, there's a lot of defensiveness, and, yeah. you know, and it's intimacy can't be reached if we're not willing to expose some of ourselves and, yeah. and to be vulnerable, um, yeah. to put ourselves in those positions where it, we might get hurt, you know, and, um, but to, to learn to trust one another in that way, I think is, is, is important, but just, I agree a hundred percent. I would love to keep talking with you, but I want to be mindful of your time. Okay. And oddly, I, I have to pee at the end of this recording, which is where <laughs> my other host, though I was on someone else's podcast. He's like, we're going to wrap this up now. Cause I got to pee. And I'm like, yeah. it's a good way to end a podcast, buddy. Right. Right. Um, but I just want to say thank you. Um, And I want everyone who's interested in learning more about your health life coaching to check you out. Facebook, Daniel. Sure. Facebook, Facebook is the best place to find me. It's just Daniel rushing. Um, I'm also on there as S Daniel rushing. My first name is Steven, but I don't use that. So uh, Daniel rushing on Facebook or on Twitter. Um, I'm on both of those spaces and Instagram. So social media is the best place to find me. And I will be sure to include all the information in the link to the podcast. So I just want to say thank you, Daniel, again. This has been great. Yes, I've enjoyed it. Okay, thank you. Thank you so much, Danielle.